verses 31 through 35. And it says, um, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In the voice translation, verse 34 says, so I give you a new command, love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in those ways. So it is clear that Jesus never meant for any of us to live our lives alone and separated from, from each other. He wants us to share life together, to share our hopes and dreams and failures and offenses and our joys and victories because he promises that we find joy in our sharing. There's a story from a Billy Graham Ministries that says a lady wrote into him and she was 65 years old and she says, my children are married, my husband is dead and I am one of the loneliest people in the world. And it was suggested to her that she find a way to share her faith and her material goods with those around her. And a few weeks later, she wrote back and said, I'm the happiest woman in all the town. I found a new joy and happiness in sharing with others. And that's God's promise to us is as we share, we get joy. Sister Jody's real um, proponent of this human connection and interaction. So I really need to sit under her so I can get that. <laughs> I lack in that area. <laughs> oh, love one another. The Greek word that we use is uh, agapeo, and it is the verb of agape. It's love in action. There are several words for love in the Greek language, but here Jesus uses the word agapeo, which means to have a strong love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. It's to love unconditionally. Out of all the things that Jesus could have told his disciples when he was about to leave their presence, what he commanded them to do was to love one another. Now, some of us as Christians, we get caught up into what people do, how people look and so forth, you know, um, and wonder if loving is accepting or condoning. But let's think of Jesus' example when he went to the woman at the well and he knew all about her and who she was and what she had done. And he wanted a drink of water from her. He wanted to build an interaction with her, a communication with her, so that she could see who he was. And if he had avoided her at all costs because of what she did, then she could have never known his salvation, right? Um, when we have the leopards that are on the side of the road, Jesus was walking by, but at their cry, he stopped and went to them and healed them. And sometimes when we walk by, we see people who need us in our jobs, at school, so forth, in our surroundings. People reach out to us, they're crying out, they're asking our opinion, they're telling us what's going on in their lives because they're seeking some advice. 
but we try to separate ourselves. I don't want to get caught up into that. I know that's me. I, I know that's me. I don't have enough energy to deal with that. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. That's me, okay? Um, but th that's people calling out, crying out, asking for our help. So we have to think of Jesus' example. Stop. Because we have, we say we have, what everybody needs, right? So we need to go to them and meet the need. And that's, that's the whole reason for us living, <laughs> is to, to meet the needs of other people and to love other people. Because then in return, we get the joy that we need. We get the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we need. It's kind of, I think it's kind of hard in our American culture. It could be, you know, the same other places, but here in America, because we're so um, taught to be an individual, do your personal best in school, we're taught. You just focus on yourself. You know, that everything is in a box and, and separated. Even family, um, we notice that a lot of immigrants, when they come over, their, their family, even if one or two people come first, they bring their families over and they help their families. They live together, they sacrifice, they work. They, they could be, I, I once knew a man who was a medical doctor in Nigeria. He moved here because his wife wanted to study and could not practice medicine here. He took a job as a janitor for years until she graduated. So she had three babies, so at least five years or so he did that to, to, help, to help his wife. Well, I think Americans, that's kind of hard. You know, once we've been established in a career for us to sacrifice that much to move to a different country, to take on a menial task, for the sake of our, even somebody we love, for our wife or husband, most Americans probably would not do that, you know, and, and then bring their family over as well and build up community together. So I think this is one of our goals um, as a life church this year is to focus that love in action. Okay, so not just um, surface level here at the church, you know, Sunday mornings, whatever, you know, Wednesday nights. So how are you doing? But love and action like the Carters do. <laughs> because they have people over. I mean, people look up to you guys, you know, like Jody and Sharon do. They have, they, they call people. They meet those needs. They, how are you doing? And they mean it, you know. They really want to know what's going on. So as a group, as a family, church life family, one of our focuses and our goals is to de demonstrate that love in action this year. Because if, if we do that more here as a body here, then we'll be able to extend it more. And others will, will see that and, and will want to be a part. Love is Jesus' greatest priority. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is telling us here that all three, faith, hope, and love, are important. But the other two, faith and hope, are ineffective without the greatest one, which is love. In Matthew 12, one of the teachers of the law asked Jesus, which of the commandments is the most important one? And he said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, we are spiritual Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
Loving God and loving each other takes precedence over everything else. Love is the foundation for all the other one another's. So we can't serve one another, forgive one another, or encourage one another if we don't love one another. Amen? Love is the catalyst for everything else that exists. Perhaps this is why Jesus emphasized it as the main characteristic of being one of his disciples. In John 13, 13, he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus makes it very clear that the thing that distinguishes us as his disciples from the world are not good works, is not spiritual maturity, is not knowing the Bible, it is not having an active prayer life. It is loving each other. So how can you, what, think of things, if you're taking notes, let the Holy Spirit talk to you and, and tell you what you can do maybe just this week to show an agapeo love, a love in action. Something that's for the benefit of someone else who doesn't need to repay you. Either they can't repay you or you're not expecting anything back from them. What is one thing that we can do to show love for somebody else? Love for one another is the telltale sign that should make the world around us say, that person must be a Christian. This identifies, Jesus identifies this love as different from any other love because he calls it a new commandment. In 1 John 4, 7 through 11, the Living Bible says, Dear friends, let us practice loving each other. For love comes from God, and those who are loving and kind show that they are children of God and that they are getting to know him better. But if a person isn't loving and kind, it shows that he doesn't know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the wicked world to bring us eternal life through his death. In this act, we see what real love is. It is not our love for God but it is his love for us when he sent his son to satisfy God's anger against us. Dear friends, since God loved us as much as that, we surely ought to love each other too. In this passage, John tells us that God showed us his love, he showed us how to love, and he told us to practice loving each other like that. So he showed us his love by sending his son. Jesus Christ lived his life and died for us. That's how to love. And then he told us to love like that. So live your life as a sacrifice for something bigger than yourself. Amen? That's how we love like Jesus does. Now we're moving on to encouraging one another. The second one another is to encourage one another. We will encourage one another if we love one another because we will want to help each other become the very best we can be. So turning to 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. To encourage means to inspire with hope, to attempt to persuade or to spur on. And the Greek word here is parakaleo, which means to urge or to exhort. So if, if we are exhorting someone, we are forcefully persuading them, like really with our words. We're really, really in there trying to persuade somebody 
to change their actions. We quickly see here that when Jesus tells us to encourage one another, it's a little more than just saying, oh, you'll be okay, or you can do it, or trust God, you know. So we're going to listen to Paul's words in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is his encouragement to the Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by your prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here Paul tells them something to do. He says rejoice. He says to pray and to ask God for what you want. Now, prayer and supplication. When I was younger, I was like, why do we because my version of praying was to ask God for what I want. So, so why am I petitioning and petitioning? But when we're praying, we are communicating. We're talking to God. We are worshiping. In your prayer, you're worshiping. You're identifying God as who he is. You're humbling yourself. You're submitting to him. That's your prayer. And then after you've done that, then we tell God what we want. That's our supplication. We thank him because his word says when we pray, he hears us. If We pray according to his will. So we know we have those things we've asked for. And then he says the peace, his peace comes to us. And it even surpasses our understanding. And it protects us from hurting our own selves, right? It keeps our hearts and our minds by the power of Jesus Christ, amen? So when, if we're encouraging someone, not only are we just asking them, or, or not only are we just telling them something to do su surface level, we're also giving instruction on how to do it, and we're also giving them confidence about the end result of it. We're giving them hope through the process, amen? Amen. There is no doubt that Paul's words are not hollow, but that he means what he is saying from the heart. Encouragement is to add actions to our words. Encouragement, like love, is best when it is expressed. In Matthew 25, 35 through 40, it says, For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, surely, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus appreciates when we show our encouragement. So you're not just praying for somebody afar off. You're calling them on the phone. You're going over to their house. You're taking their hand. You're lifting them up. You're taking practical steps to help them. And when you're encouraging someone, you're extending God's love to them. Encouragement is to give positive criticism and, and correction. So you're not just accepting and condoning a sloppy way of life, but you're giving positive, and, positive criticism and correction. We can encourage one another even in correction, but your motivation must be out of love. In Ephesians um, verse 4, I'm going to read chapter, uh, verses, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 out of the NIV. 
it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists uh, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we have apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers. That's it. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Right. For the maturing of the saints so that they can go out and do God's work. Right? So in verse 14 it says, Then we will no longer be infants. After we built up and we engage, we as a body have to engage in doing God's work. That's the only way you are no longer an infant in the kingdom of God. You have to get in, like pastor says, have some skin in the game. <laughs> you have to get in there and get dirty, right? <laughs> you have to live a life of love on the behalf or to, uh, to sacrifice for somebody else. That's what it takes to no longer be an infant. Uh, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Well, you know, um, I, I say this from, for those of you guys who don't know me. As a, I wasn't born a Christian, but I've been in church forever. <laughs> and, uh, and God saved as a, as a young teenager and um, so and went to all kinds of different churches. So as a young person, because I was really an infant, I was a child, I was easily persuaded by different winds of doctrine. So for a while I was uh, in a, not, I was never a part of it, but believed certain parts of one denomination that said you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that and you couldn't do the other. You were not saved unless you did this and you did this and you dis did this and you had to do it exactly this way. And if you did not, you are going to hell. Doesn't matter what you believe. I don't care if you believe in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. If you don't say it this way, you're not right, right? Because <laughs> I was a child and I didn't know. Then on the other extreme, there was churches I went to and the deacons and the pastors was out smoking in front of the church, which does not put you in hell, but it's not a good witness, you know. <laughs> so we had those two extremes, you know, so I had to figure out what was going on in the middle of that thing, you know. So at, in maturing, in the maturing process, you have to um, get in this word yourself. You have to use the ministry, the pastor, the prophet, the, the evangelist, the teacher, and the apostle. Sit under them and allow them to teach you to be built up and serve your church under somebody. That's how you establish your foundation and you're not tossed back and forth with every wave of doctrine. Is that understandable? You got it? So serving is very important, and we have to learn where our place is in the body of Christ, okay? Um, not all of us are pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, but we, we can all learn from those positions, and we might have, we might not wear that title, but we can all operate in those gifts at, in, in, in some degree, okay? Because we can always bring someone else along. So after we've done that, it says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
we will be able to speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each part does its work. So our mission is to have a foundation of love right? To encourage others through love, to sit under the teaching God has for us, and to find our work. Serve where we're supposed to serve. That will help us to find our place in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Your greatest concern in encouraging and uh, giving somebody a positive criticism or correction must be for that person to be restored and to grow in their relationship with God. If you have any other motivation than that, you are outside of the will of God. If you are correcting someone with anger or self-righteousness rather than an attitude of encouragement in your heart, no matter how much you quote scripture, you'll still be wrong. Your attitude toward the other person and your internal motives are what God will consider when he judges your actions. And he tells us that we need to encourage one another. If you have to have a difficult conversation with someone to correct them or challenge them in their behavior, check your own heart first. Ask the Lord to remove all judgment or bitterness and realize that if it were not for God's grace working in your own life, you could be in their same situation. Correct the other person with that kind of love and heart motivation, and you will encourage them and motivate them to get back on the right path. Give your encouragement freely. Don't be stingy with your encouragement because everybody needs recognition for what they do. Because when you're doing things and nobody recognizes it, then you, you feel like, what's the point? What's the use, right? So as parents, I know it's kind of hard to uh, do this. That's something parents have to do, especially with their, their, well, I guess any age, but it seems like teenagers always feel like, oh, you just see all the bad stuff I do. You don't say anything about the good stuff, you know. So as parents, we have to be mindful to catch our children doing good <laughs> at any stage. You have to catch them doing good, and it, and it, it encourages them to keep on that path. Don't wait until tomorrow to encourage the people whom the Lord puts on your heart. If someone is on your mind, give them a call right away to encourage them. You can be his instrument of healing and love in a world filled with discouraged people. And this way, you will be showing forth God's love to those who really need it. So that's it. We're going to be loving. We're the loving one another, and we're encouraging one another. Amen? Next week, we'll be forgiving one another and serving one another. Amen? Remember that when we love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, and serve one another, we do so because of our Lord's example and by his power. The first step on this new road is to accept the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you because without him, you will never be able to live a life of love. But with him, you will be able to share all these things with hurting people around you, allowing them to experience God's heart of love through your own hands and Amen.